0: Let me just, uh, before I get started here, um, invite you to turn your cell phone onto a silence mode, if you would, please. Uh, I've had numerous people texting me today. I've done my phone, turned it off, so uh, you won't hear that today, hopefully. Um, Also, I'd just like to say that um, my dear wife, who has been involved in helping to sell a third of what we own, uh, thankfully, and that's a good thing, and uh, we had far too many things, and uh, helping us prepare for this big move. Took the time to prepare our Christmas greeting letter and our uh, Christmas card with photos on it. We have extra copies of those that are below the boxes, so if you're here and normally have a box, then there's one in there for you. But if you are here and you don't have a box and you'd like to have one of those that has our new address, has us standing in front of our new home, uh, we'd love to have you take one of those. If, you've, if they run out, just uh, send us an email, we'll make sure you get one. At this time, I'd like to read uh, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to invite you to stand today as we read the scriptures. We don't usually do that when I'm preaching, but I think it's appropriate. Philippians chapter 1, it's in page 1395 in the Pew Bible. So please find your way there. Um, And follow along there as we read the Apostle Paul's heartfelt comments that he offers to The believers there at the church in Philippi, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because i have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel you all are partakers of grace with me for god is my witness how i long for you all with the affection of christ jesus and i pray this and this i pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And all God's people said, please be seated. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you that in a world in which we have so many things that are throwaway, disposable, of no lasting value, how we thank you and praise you that your word is eternal. It never fades away. It never becomes irrelevant. It is the lasting, true rock upon which we can build our lives. We pray that you would take your word according to your promise and use it to accomplish your purposes this day among us as we need to hear from you today, Lord, and that you would apply it to each of our hearts. Thank you that it never returns void, and I pray that you would help me as I seek to proclaim it, that I would do so humbly and accurately. I pray in Christ's name, amen. This indeed is a bittersweet moment. In the providential plan of God, I received a call to serve as your pastor in the summer of 1993. That's before some of you were born. It's beyond the memory of many of you people, uh, I'm sure. Um, And by the time that uh, Joyce and I and our three kids had moved here, we got settled, I preached my first sermon on September the 19th, 1993, and it was fittingly entitled, as I look back through my records, Changes and Choices, and it was, de- it was taken from Deuteronomy chapter 31. And I just want to say uh, that you, indeed, have been a very patient flock, <laughs> and you have supported my preaching ministry here ever since. And when I began ministering here at New Village, I would not, of course, when I began ministering here, I knew that when I came, I would not remain here all my days. Uh, I knew that this area would not be an ideal place for me to retire uh, on a fixed income, and so so the time now has come uh, for Joyce and for me to conclude our ministry here and to now open the door for another shepherd to teach and feed this precious flock of God, And at a life-changing moment like this, all of us, I, my wife, all of us, we need God's unchanging, reliable, sure word. As we move ahead into our respective futures, I would imagine that some of us may be feeling perhaps overwhelmed, maybe intimidated, some of us perhaps even discouraged. Others of us may be afraid, and some of us, let's be honest, are frustrated. Maybe you resent change. So I have a question that I'd like to pose for you and for me. How can we joyfully face the future? How can we move ahead in calm assurance, with a heart that is pleasing to God. Now, I'll be the first to say that the journey ahead is not going to be easy. It never seems to be straightforward. I can attest to that from personal experience, looking back into my life, all the twists and turns. But what I want us to do this morning is I want us to consider, in the the letter of Philippians, chapter 1, just three God-honoring ways that we can face our unknown future. Very simply, we face our unknown future with confidence in God, with gratitude to God, and with earnest reliance upon God, seeking Him in prayer. Let's follow these through as we look at our text before us this morning. We begin by facing our unknown future with confidence in God. Corey ten Boom endure, endured years and years of uncertainty while she and her family provided refuge for Jewish people in their home there in Holland during World War II. And eventually, she and other members of her family were arrested. They were imprisoned. In one of those horrendous concentration camps. And one of the interesting statements that Corey Ten Boom made, and it's in your notes, I'd like you to consider it with me this morning. <laughs> Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. See, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter of Philippians. He wrote it hoping that certain things would take place in the future, but he had no guarantee of what the future was going to be for himself. He was writing it as a prisoner there in Rome, awaiting a trial before Caesar, to whom he had appealed, and it was unclear how this future would play out for him. He had no, he had no idea how long he would continue to live. He had narrowly escaped death numerous times when a mob, several different mobs, had sought to completely destroy him and kill him. And now he has braced himself for option A, continue on in his ministry, and he would have a good hearing before Caesar, or option B. Caesar would give him the death penalty, and he would therefore have the end of his earthly days come to a conclusion. But this set of unknown situations for him did not rob him of joy. That's what you need to notice in this text. He faced his unknown future with calm, steady confidence in God. What was it about God that enabled the Apostle Paul to have this Heart that overflowing was overflowing with joyful assurance in God. Verse 6 to me is absolutely critical in understanding that, answering that question. Paul said, I am confident of this very thing. What's he confident of? Himself? No. I am confident that he that is God, who began a good work in you, assuming that maybe he realizes maybe I can't finish this work with you. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to be around much longer. The God who began this good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul was fully assured that the church there in Philippi existed and was thriving the way it was because God had established it and God was at work keeping it and working in that church. Because he knew that God was the one who had made that church come together started it founded it established it it was god who was the one who had opened the hearts of the people who made up that church in philippi people who eventually came to the point where they repented of their sins and when so they were uh, receiving christ by faith paul's unwavering confidence that was that since god the father had planned and initiated the work of salvation and jesus christ had provided the work of salvation and the Holy Spirit applied the work of salvation to the hearts of His people that those, that work was being accomplished regardless of whether or not Paul was there in jail or with his people or whether he was taken home to glory. Notice again in your notes this important phrase, the work God begins, He will finish. He will complete. That, my friends, you can find confidence in. Now let's be clear. The work of gospel ministry in this place, and when I say this place, I mean here and I mean out on Middle Country Road, was started by God. Yes, there were a dozen or so names listed in the first minutes of the first congregational church in New Village. Had some other name over the years, had 16 different names, I don't know. But back in 1815, there was that small band of people, but I assure you it was God, by His sovereign grace, who granted to these people the gift of faith and gave them the desire to love and to serve and to make Christ known together in this place. It was God at work at that point. It's God who's been at work since that point. And any advancement in gospel ministry that has taken place over these past 25 years is due to God's good work among us. And the work that He has begun in our hearts and in our lives, He will complete. I believe that. I hope you do too. I do not doubt one iota that the work of gospel ministry in this place will go on in my absence. Because God is the one who started it. He's going to finish it. Because of that confidence in that truth of God's work, God's sovereign, saving work really provides us security as we face an unknown future. His work is the reason that we can approach our unknown futures confidently and not being afraid. No one can thwart God's plans, Job wrote, and he will never, ever lose track of his children. What a great truth that is. God does not make empty promises. And what He says He will do? You can be sure He will do it. In addition to the verse I have listed in your notes in John 6, I'm gonna, I've substituted John 10, just another, fra- another text of Scripture that just impressed upon my heart, just such wonderful truths. Jesus, speaking as the great shepherd of the sheep, said this, John 10, 27, My sheep hear My voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Does that give you confidence to move forward in life? You see, all true believers can be absolutely sure and entirely confident that their futures, indeed our own names are written in the Lamb's book of life, we can know for sure and confidently that we are God's people until the end will never be taken out of the hands of our Savior. Such assurance should fill us with joyful anticipation about what lies ahead. Jesus may choose all kinds of tools, some of them sharp, some of them painful, to refine us, to test us, to mature us. We don't know what kind of hardships, we don't know what kind of trials are going to take place in our lives. We can't even imagine. And maybe it's good we don't know all those things now. But we can be sure of this that God who began a good work in us, in this work of spiritual transformation within our hearts, He will not leave it half done. Again, Romans eight, those just powerful words, if you don't know this and understand the linking of these things that, that are cannot be separated from uh, from one another that they are linked together eternally by god it says those whom god predestined those he called and those he called he also justified and those he justified he also glorified if he did this at the beginning you can know for sure he'll do this by fulfilling and completing the work of his saving grace in our hearts by bringing us to the point where we are reflecting the image of christ so what I'm saying this morning, be confident in God as you face your unknown future. Some of us, again, are going to face the temptation, as time goes on, to doubt God. To perhaps wallow into a, p- a time of worrying. My friend, do not doubt for a moment that one of Satan's schemes is to derail us from trusting God. So therefore, I'm calling us this morning to rely on God. Rely on His promises. His promises will prove true. And faith comes by hearing. And hearing is all about focusing on Christ. The Word about Christ. The more you're focused on Christ and what is said of Him in the Word, the more your faith will deepen and grow. Because your focus is not on yourself. It's on Christ. So let's face our unknown future with confidence in God, but also let's face our future with gratitude to God. This is found in verses 3 through 5 and even verse 7. We read there, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel From the first day until now. In verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. See, another way to move forward with joy in Christ is to reflect on God's faithfulness, reflect on God's abundant mercies that He has supplied to us time and time again. Remembering the ways that God has supplied our needs, that He has sustained us in the past, helps us greatly appreciate the goodness of God as we proceed forward. This principle was impressed upon my heart during my teen years, early teen years. I was uh, in a camp, a boys camp in North Carolina, uh, during the summer uh, one year, and we went on a four-day Uh, expedition on the Appalachian Trail in the western part of North Carolina very very hilly uh, section of the trail and here we are carrying backpacks I've never done anything like that in my life we're actually living off of the food we had with us and I mean it was just a big adventure in my mind and on the first day of this hiking on the Appalachian Trail I remember feeling the sense of intimidation thinking man this is this is crazy Uh, How did I get myself into this? And uh, feeling rather skeptical at the thought of climbing. These steep mountains going straight up. And then you'd have to come right down the other side. By the way, going down a mountain with a backpack, heavy pack on your back, it's not easy. It, it, It became, after a while, a very challenging thing not to lose your step and whatever. So we would go up one and down the other and up one and down the other. But I realized that after the first day's hike, just been sweating all day, I'm so tired, every part of me is sore and achy and just exhausted. I remember that we stood on the, the, the peak where we were at the end of that one day's hike, and we looked back to where we had started that day. Several peaks away in the distance. And I'll never forget how I reflected on how far we had come by God's help. And I began to sort of realize so much sense of gratitude as I realized God had helped me god was helping us and that sense of gratitude displaced all these fears that i had all these thoughts of hesitation that had seemed to be clouding me at the beginning of that expedition i think that's what paul is doing for these philippians he's reminding them he says listen here he says i'm thanking god as i remember all the times and things we've done your participation in the gospel did you notice that word your participation—it's the word "fellowship" is what we get that word from. It's the word "koinonia" in the original language. He remembers this wonderful sharing together they have had over the years. My, my, my! Have I, how grateful I am to God is for the way in which He has knitted us together over all these years in gospel ministry here at New Village. What a wealth of grace! God has sown in my life, in my wife's life, Joyce, over these past 25 years as we have labored here and served with you folks, our dear and beloved New Village Church family. We had such strong bonds of fellowship. We have benefited so greatly from sharing our lives together and participating in gospel ministry. Yes, we have broadly different backgrounds and experiences and customs, and yes, we have broadly different accents. I still have my West Virginia accent. It just doesn't ever seem to go away. And yet God's Spirit united us into this fellowship where we enjoy enduring bonds of love. And those bonds of commitment and mutual affection are stronger ties that we enjoy with each other here than some of us enjoy with the members of our own biological families. and We have shared many joys together. And we have shared many sorrows together. And we have helped bear each other's burdens. And let it be known, we are more than a civic organization. We are more than a social club. We are the adopted children of God. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God who have been saved by grace. My friend, if your heart is not thankful about that, you're not ready to move into the future. My heart is truly overflowing with gratitude this morning to God for the abundance of so many of you who have faithfully prayed for me and for my wife, my family. Many of you have blessed us with generous financial support all the years we've lived here and numerous abundance of of gifts that you have bestowed upon us on various occasions during our ministry here. We have been blessed by the ministry that you have offered to Joyce and to me as we sought to raise our children here during their formative years. I am so deeply indebted to so many people. They heard the gospel truth, not just from mom and dad. They heard it from our church family. And they saw it lived out. And all the voluntary, voluntary investment of countless hours of service to Christ that so many people have done over the years, serving in the nursery, ministering to our children and other children, and in children's church and Sunday school and youth group and women's and men's fellowship at Iwana and awana and christian service brigade and pioneer girls years ago and ushering you name it all these different ministries and much much more and we have seen a generation come and we have seen a generation go some of whom have been called to glory and some were called to the promised land quote unquote and some have gone many other places as well been transferred by god's sovereign hand to serve him somewhere else But the result of all those efforts combined together is that lives have been changed by the gospel. Here in Lake Grove, here in Suffolk County, but also in South Sudan, also in North and South Japan, also in Bangladesh, also in inner city Philadelphia from Mexico to Maine, and even to Thailand. God has been changing hearts and lives through these bonds of commitment to Christ we share here at this precious church. So rather than dreading change or facing the days that lie ahead with discouragement and dismay, let's enter this new year with a grateful heart. A grateful heart. Let's celebrate the riches of God's grace celebrate the riches of god's goodness celebrate the the wonderful life-changing gospel which has been and continues to be at work in our midst in our hearts and in the hearts of so many people over the years who have been transformed by it continue to thank god and thirdly i just want to say As we face our unknown future, we do so confidently in God. We do so gratefully to God. We must face our unknown future earnestly relying on God to help us, to help our church continue to grow. You'll notice what prayer Paul prayed in verse 9 of this passage. He says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may prove the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want to be very clear at this point. If we can have a sense of confidence in God moving forward and our hearts are grateful for His abundant goodness, we should be not drawing the conclusion and interpret that to mean that we can then just be complacent about what's left yet to be done. We need to be careful to understand that Paul, in his positive affirmations, Paul in celebrating these wonderful things that he and this church have shared together all these years, that that did not make him just sit back and say, well, we've all arrived, but notice that he is earnestly praying this prayer of intercession for his partners in ministry. He knew that God's people desperately need God's continued help. And we do as well. As we stand on the threshold of a new chapter of corporate life together, and our own walk with Christ, we need to be earnestly relying. We need to be seeking diligently after God in prayer. Asking Him to work in our hearts. We desperately need God's help to keep us growing. Notice what He asks God to do. Verse 9. Praying that our love may abound still more and more. Now of all the things He could have prayed for that would grow and that would be expanding, notice what He selects as very, very, very important. Love. Well, the seed of God's love has already been planted in our hearts if we truly are a believer in Christ. Romans chapter 5 says, The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we must never be satisfied with whatever growth in love that we have attained to thus far. We should ask God in faith to cause our hearts to grow more and more in love. And I want to just unpack this just for a little bit this morning. I don't have much time, I, although I, I thought I could take a couple more hours, but I don't think I'm going to. It was tempting when I was writing this manuscript. Believe me, this is all the edited version down. You think, you think I preach a long time? It is as the edited version down. Most importantly, what we need to praying for, be praying for is Lord we need a greater, growing love for you, God. Paul does not pray that we would know more about God. Now, that's good. I'm sure he wanted these people. He talks about being, uh, having knowledge. Yes, we want to know God and know about Him, but he says, no, I want you to not merely have biblical familiarity with biblical teaching and to have all this kind of understanding about theology and all those things. Yes, they're very important. But you can have that and not be growing in love for God. Do you realize that? That's called dead orthodoxy. He's saying, I'm praying that you're going to have a heart that overflows with a passionate love for God himself. And what will help us grow in this area? I've been meditating on that. "What, What can I say that would possibly be that which is going to be an insightful help in this area? And I would just urge you to write in your notes, go back to it later, today, tomorrow, whatever, Luke chapter 7, and read the account of people who had orthodox Christian understanding and doctrine about God straight in their minds, but they were totally, had no love for Christ at all. He talks about Simon, the the, the Pharisee, who didn't even greet him, didn't even give him the normal greeting custom and bring him into his home and didn't show anything. Here's this woman weeping over Jesus at his feet cleaning his feet with her tears and her hair, a woman who had been living in a life of sin and was for freed and forgiven by Christ, said, Jesus says, the person who has been forgiven much, isn't it very likely that's the person who's going to be loving much? So the more you are aware of how much Christ has forgiven you, how deep his love went to rescue you, from the wickedness of your own heart and nature and sin and you realize how he has treated you in Christ, my friend, hopefully, hopefully that will soften your heart and your heart will well up with a sense of love for God. It will be hard to contain. Keep the cross of Christ front and center. Reflect on the wonder that Jesus loves and has loved you, and he gave himself for you and for me. All of us, it seems to me, are vulnerable to Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. All of us are vulnerable to losing our first love. Don't ever think you're not beyond that, my friend. But we all know that we struggle. Our love for material things, We all have a love at times that is idolatrous, that we love to have the praise of other people. We love to have the approval and the accolades of other people. We love the idols of satisfaction in our hearts of other things other than Christ. And these things can stunt our growth in our love for God. So I urge you and I'm asking you this morning, would you pray for me going forward? Will you pray for the people sitting beside you, the people in front of you, the people in back of you? Will you pray for them? And will you pray and make this your prayer? Lord, may my love, may our love abound still more and more for you. Pray that our love for God will result not in syrupy, sentimental, subjective feelings. Oh, I had a little bit of Tingling in my neck because I had a thought about God at some moment. That's all nice and good. I'm not saying that's something that you should never experience, but I'm saying true biblical love for God is involving sacrificial giving of yourself to gladly serve, gladly seek after, and gladly find satisfaction in God. And will you notice the end of Paul's prayer there? I don't have time to unpack this. I wish I did. He finishes his prayer that you would grow in love to the glory and praise of God. It's all about God. It's all about giving Him glory. The reason you're praying that God would continue this love in your heart is so that He might be glorified in you. So that your life might be reflecting glory back to Him. Who deserves it, rather than us absorbing and wanting to be the ones who are getting all the glory? We need prayer. Our hearts are exactly inclined in the opposite direction. Let me move forward quickly and just say, as you, I urge you to also earnestly rely on God and seek God and pray to God to help us keep growing in love for our fellow believers. Not only for a love for God, but a love for our fellow believers. It's so easy to focus on other people's faults. It's so easy to focus on the things that they have failed in. Oh, our eyes are so quick to pick up on those things. So therefore, ask God to help you grow in love for each other. Especially as you face a time of transition and you're waiting for your next pastor. Guess what? You're going to find a lot of people who maybe drop the ball, a lot of people who don't fulfill your expectations and desires, and things may not go the way you like them to go all the time. All the more reason why you need to keep praying. Lord, give me a love for our folks here. Don't forsake each other during this time of transition, don't isolate yourself from other members of the body of Christ during this time of transition. Form even more so these close relationships and in order that you may spur each other on to love and good deeds. It's vital. We all need it. May your love for each other deepen. May it increase more and more. And may this be a time when God expands your heart to say, here I am, I'm willing to serve. Here I am, how can I encourage you? How can I exhort you today? How can I help you? How can I bear you up? May it be as never before to see the love of God shown in this body life together. Don't just sit back. Don't just wait for other people to step up. Grow in love for each other. I hesitated whether to use this, but I'm going to borrow a quote and I'm going to make it my own. Ask not what our church can do for you. (laughs) But ask what you do can do for your fellow church members. What a wonderful church that would be as it continues to grow in that area. It's not going to happen automatically, my friends. And you're not going to bring in some kind of man-centered program that says, oh, we're going to somehow figure this out by an organizational chart and blah, blah, blah. No, it's something that's a spiritual dynamic that God must work in us. Well, again, I've got to get to my last point here. Let me encourage all of us in the months and in the years ahead to keep asking God to increase in our hearts a love for the lost. A love for people who are outside of Christ. Lord, would you please give me a heart like yours? A heart of compassion for people who don't know the Lord Jesus. A heart of that says, they're stumbling. They're stumbling in spiritual darkness. They have no hope in this world. Oh, we pray that God would help you develop a greater boldness, a holy boldness that would initiate various selfless acts of service so that they might taste just a little bit of of the goodness and the grace and the love of God as you show them kindness, show that you value them as a person. Break the ice with people. It's not easy to do that, especially in New York. We went down to to Pennsylvania. People are so friendly. I'm like, man, this is a shock to my system. May I urge you, as you ask God to give you an ever-deepening love for lost people, that you might get to the point where you could ask compelling, interesting questions of other people so that they might begin to reveal who they are, what they think, what they are fearing, what they are looking for. Find out who they are and where they're coming from. Ask good questions and then listen carefully to what they say so that you might know them and develop a sense of respect and mutuality toward them. And then, would you at that point then having given them your undivided attention and show them that you care, would you enter then and pray that God will give you opportunities to enter into gospel conversations with them? People who are within your sphere of influence. Your love for them just naturally leads you to do something, to take steps. You say, oh, I'll stumble. So what? If you love them, you'll get out there and do it. It's not something that anybody needs to be elbowing you it's something that god has given you in your heart that just becomes a part of who you are i conclude with this quote never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known god let's pray Our gracious Father, we thank you for your your word. Oh, it's so rich. We have just glossed over it here. There's so much more packed into insights into this text. But Lord, we thank you that you've given us some very helpful pointers for our souls, for our hearts, for our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you can speak to every heart through your word and your word is powerful it can break down all sorts of barriers all sorts of hardness of heart and your word can penetrate get down to our motives and the things that really drive us so father i pray that these uh, truths that we have learned from your word today would do just that they would penetrate the hearts of all of us that they would impact us going forward pray that you would help us to respond, Lord, to this, your truth, in appropriate ways. Lord, forbid it that anyone leave today's service and ignore what your Holy Spirit is trying to impress on our hearts. I pray that you would stir us up in our hearts to love you. Not love just hearing about you, not love just singing about you, but truly, passionately loving you. For Lord, I feel like if that is something that you work in us, all these other things will sort their way out. And I pray, Lord, now as we have the privilege and joy of gathering together as the body of Christ at your table, and to get our focus off of ourselves, off of our thoughts, our failings, our plans, our schemes, our dreams, our desires, and we get our minds focused on Christ and what He has done for us and His everlasting love. I pray that this will be a sweet, sweet time of fellowship with you and each other around this table, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.